Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, today I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 2 in the uh, soft cover Bibles there in your seats. That should be page, uh, I believe, 667. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, page 667, those soft cover Bibles there. It'll be on the screen as well if you just like to follow along. You don't have to, uh, to read it in your seat if you don't want to. Or you can get on your smartphone and go to the version Bible app and follow along there. And then people can't tell if you're texting or playing solitaire or actually reading your Bible. So it's a great thing. As you're turning there, question for you. What is the most important decision you are facing right now? Think about it for a minute. Just think, what's the most important decision you are facing in your life right now? Could be work-related, financial, relationship, maybe where to have lunch after service. You know, the most important decision that you are considering right now. You probably didn't take too long. You probably didn't have an idea. And then the second question is this. What's keeping you from making it? What is keeping you from making that decision? What is it that's in your way? Teddy Roosevelt, bless you, said, In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. Anybody heard that? You've heard that before? Wouldn't it be great if you always made the right decision? No? Come on. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if you always made the right decision? That would be amazing. If every time you always chose the best checkout lane at the shop, right? Like, you're, and it's, you, 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 you know you come on, you got your cart, and everybody surveys. Hmm, let's see, it's a little shorter. So you start, there's, there's, there's qualifications, right? You're looking at the checkout lines, and you're like, all right, this one's shorter. But how much do they have in their cart? And then it and then it migrates from that to well, let me let me just start to just do a kind of just quiet assessment of the capability of the one checking me out. I will now begin to look at the ones behind the register. Okay, I mean I don't want to judge, but uh, right. And so you start and you. But what if you always and you you know it's the best feeling when you're in the line and you're like, dude. They were in line ahead of me and I'm leaving before them, right? You're like a boss, right? You feel really good about yourself. Right? What if you always knew what the best, the best lane was, right? And what if you always ordered the best meal at the table? Everybody's like, what'd you get? That was okay. My, this was cold. Dude, mine was amazing every time I always order the perfect meal. See, in our relationship between my wife and I, I always order the best meal because inevitably whatever I order is what she wants. Like, listen, there's two menus here. You can order the same thing. But she doesn't. She will order something else, and mine always tastes better. I don't know why. So I should just start ordering for her is really what we should do. But it wouldn't be great to always make the right decision, to always know that we got it right. If you always trusted the right friends, wouldn't that be great? If you're always like, man, I trusted the right person with that. Or if I always knew I had the right career. Retired four-star general Wesley Clark spoke about his experience in leadership, and he had this to say. He said, one of the things I learned in the military is sometimes you don't know what mistakes you make for a long time. 
But as you go through a campaign, there are lots of decision points you make, and you don't know whether those are going to be the right decision points or not. See, we face difficult decisions, and we just don't know what's right sometimes. There are days we're faced with something, and we don't know what the right thing to do in that moment is. So we make the best decision we can, and we move forward, right? That's what we do. In those moments, you just don't know what the right thing is, so you try and make the educated, best decision you can, and you hope for the best, and you jump. That's what happens. Better than doing nothing. So for me, for decision making, I've got the night test. Anybody do the night test? You know, can I sleep at night with this decision? Right, the night test. Like, that's the test. Like, if you can make that decision and sleep at night. Right? I did the best I could. That's the test. Right? If you sit up all night thinking, ah, oh, I don't know if I did the right thing, then it doesn't pass the night test. Right? But the night test is, can I sleep at night? Do I feel peace? Is this the best I could do? See, Proverbs tells us that wisdom is shown right by its results. That's not helpful at all. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. That's great. I need to know before I make the decision. I need wisdom on the front end. What if you could do more to improve your odds of making the right decision every time? Daniel found himself facing more than a difficult decision. He found himself facing an impossible decision. And how he handled it undeniably increased his odds of making the right decision. It's incredible. So if you are here today and you need wisdom, I am glad you're here. We were talking about this this morning with somebody. This, if you are making a decision today and you could really use some wisdom, this is the perfect Sunday for you. If you are here today and you don't need wisdom, please write a book and let us in on your secrets. Because I don't understand how that works. Because there is plenty of wisdom that I still lack. For context here, just about the story that we're about to read. All right, the history of is Israel's history. They were a happy kingdom. Everything was good. David was the great king. Everything was good. Solomon was a great king. Everything was good. Opulence, lots of gardens, lots of wealth. Everything was hunky-dory. Then Solomon's son Rehoboam was a knucklehead. Right? Decides to follow up his dad and they're like, hey, you should, your dad worked us a lot to create these gardens and the temple and everything. You should, you should be leaning on us and Rehoboam. And then his young friends were like, nah, you should be even harder on him. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. And people were like, forget this. So the kingdom splits. Israel chooses to walk away, rejects the family of David as their king, and this other, other kingdom is Judah. So now you've got, instead of just Israel, you've got Israel and Judah, these two kingdoms, uh, separated because of oppressive leadership. And Judah remains loyal. So Daniel grew up in this Judah. He grew up in, in the nation of Judah in that, in that part. And he grew up under Josiah, who was a good king, and Josiah honored God, and everything was good for Daniel. And then Josiah died, and other kings came who did evil, and they were bad. And Daniel saw this. He saw the change. And over time, because of, Israel, because of Judah and Israel just being bad, judgment comes in the form of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Isn't that a great name? Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's like, that's a nightmare right there. Imagine that kid in like kindergarten trying to write his name out. Nebuchadnezzar. Is that one Z or two? Um, they conquer Judah. The Babylonians are smart. Rather than just taking over these people and killing them all and obliterating them, we're going we're gonna to use them. We're going to assimilate them. We're going to take their best, their brightest, their smartest, those from royalty, and we're going to teach them our ways and we're going to make them our servants. So It's like free labor, right? But we're only going to take the best and the brightest. So it's their way of 
increasing the excellence. And just so happens that Daniel was a young, good-looking, strong, intelligent man from a young man from a wealthy family. And so Daniel's one of those who are taken into Babylon. So now he's, he's there. They, they teach him all the Babylonian ways of learning culture and language and music and art and how to do their uh, interpreting of dreams, which was important to their, to their society. And he rises to the top of his clay. He stays humble. He stays humble and he rises to the top of the king's academy. And this is where we pick up the story. In chapter 2, verse 1 of Daniel, we read this. One night, during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. Remember, dreams are a big deal in their culture. Big deal. Couldn't sleep. So he calls in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. As they stood there before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king! Tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. See, protocol here was the king would inform the interpreters of the content of the dream. He would come and say, here is my dream. You tell me what it means. That's how it works. That's the rules. That's what works. The king's advisors were diviners, it was called. They, would, they had books and resources and, and charts, and they could take the dream and compare the, the, the figures and the images, and they would know what that meant. They would come up with an interpretation. So they can interpret dreams, but they had no mechanism for finding out like the content of the dream. And that's kind of what he seemed to be asking. And today, Nebuchadnezzar is not following the rules. So the king, in verse 5, says to the astrologers, no, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, and he just goes gentle, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. He's like, you think I'm playing. But if you tell me what I had dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. It'll be good for you. So simple. You're the, mag- you're the magicians. You're the smart guys in the room. Tell me what my dream was and what it means. You can feel the intensity rising, right? Ever been in that situation where somebody's asking you something and you're like, they can't really be asking me this, right? So that it's starting to sweat, blood rushing to their faces, veins starting to pop. And they say again, with as much restraint as they could muster, and can you hear this? Please, your majesty. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. Like you can hear the way they're talking, right? You know that time where you're trying to be calm? You're like, oh, no, maybe, maybe you didn't hear me when I said the last two times. Because I said this again, so I'll say it one more time with lots of sugar. Like, tell me the dream. No, you tell me the dream, and I'll tell you what it means. That's the roles. That's my job. That's what we do. The king replies in verse 8, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you are doomed. (laughs) So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I won't change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. He is so upset by this dream that he needs to know they really know what they're talking about, right? He doesn't want there to be any room for them to just make stuff up. He wants to know that they know what the dream is. Because that will prove to him that they actually interpreted it accurately. No more time for playing dumb. The astrologers are like, all right, all bets are off. Verse 10, the astrologers reply to the king, like gone is the pretense. No one on earth could tell the king his dream. Nobody could do that. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they don't live here among the people. (laughs) I mean, you hear it, right? Like, they're fed up. I've told you three times, this is not how it works. You're pushing it. Can't, Can't happen. 
you know what? They're 100% right. That was impossible. There's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person on earth that could have given King Nebuchadnezzar what he asked for at that time. Anybody want to take a shot at interpreting a dream of somebody if they told you what it was? But you think you can tell somebody what they're dreaming? without? Like, you couldn't know that. That's not possible. They said, only the gods can do this. And last I looked, they don't live here. We can't do this. Nobody could know that. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this face, distorted with rage. And he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. So angry, he's like, kill them all. These guys are useless. They tell me they can interpret dreams, but they can't even tell me what I dreamed. They're done. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends because they happened to be included in the wise men. When Eric, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Oh, boy. Daniel was a cool character, right? Like just John Wayne, right? That's what comes to mind. John Wayne just slowly cocks his head, right? Guy walks in and you hear him say, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? Right? That's all he says. Like, I'm here to kill you. Hold your horses there. What's the deal with this? So Ariok told them all that had happened. Verse 16, Daniel went at once to see the king. And he requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. That's a simple sentence. An exiled refugee Jewish boy from Judah walks into the king of Babylon's court, the most powerful court of any on earth at that time, and says, hey, bro, give me some more time. I know you want to kill everybody, but I got this. And the king says, sure. That's amazing. That's incredible. Says So then Daniel, verse 17 he goes home, tells his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. So I imagine Daniel walking into the room and going, uh, guys, hey, I, uh, I told the king that I was going to tell him what he dreamed. You did what? Yeah, I just was like, I got it. Oh, uh, I also told him that once I did that, I was going to tell him what it meant too. Crickets, right? Like, and Daniel saying, "Hey, listen. If nobody tells him the dream, we die. The only way we don't die is if we pray and God tells me this dream. So what else? Why not? Like, really, you got nothing to lose. Why not? Our lives are on the line. This is truly a life or death moment. And he says, so basically, we got to pray. So if we don't pray, end of the line." So can I ask you this? How hard do you think they prayed that night? You think it was like, you know, that mumbly falling asleep kind of prayer? Where you're like, oh God, I guess it would be nice if you could, oh. If you could tell me what, I, oh, what was I thinking? I got to do tomorrow. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You think it was that kind of prayer? You think it was like a by the book prayer? Like a, well, if I say these words right and I read it the right way, maybe God, I ask that. You know, I, I tend to think it was raw and real. Like just need poured out at the foot of a God who they knew they needed to show up in a big way. Can I ask you this question? 
How different would your prayers be if you knew your life depended on it? I don't like that question. This is a year of wonder for our church. We're expecting God to work in ways that are going to stop us in our tracks, in ways that when he shows up, we just go, holy wow. That was just an overwhelming awe to do things because God can because he's a big God. We just believe that he said that to us this year. We're expecting moments like what Daniel's about to experience because in verse 19 it says this, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. God actually does it. He tells him the dream. He reveals it and he shows Daniel a picture of, he gives Daniel the same dream that Nebuchadnezzar had so Daniel knows what the dream is. Isn't that unreal? Like he actually knows the dream. It doesn't just say Daniel's like, hey, thanks God. It says he sang a song. I'm sure he was doing a happy dance, right? He's dancing around. It was good. And this is what Daniel says. He says the first 15 words that enter his head at the moment and these are, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. That's Daniel's response. Then a declaration next of what was undeniable. Verse 21, God controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness Though he is surrounded by light, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Can you imagine how excited Daniel was to walk back into that king's court? Like He's probably like bursting to go tell the king what he's learned, right? Like You can imagine. He is excited to go tell him. Verse 24. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, I'm guessing, walked in like he was the stuff. He was like, oh, I'm back. I'm back. And uh, says to him, I don't kill the wise men just yet. Take me to the king. And I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Imagine Arioch picked up his jaw off the floor. was like, you for real? All right. And quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah, who will tell the king the meaning of the dream. Not one of our astrologers, not one of our enchanters, not one of our magicians, not one of our, you know, Ivy League trained guys. Some slave boy from Judah sits here and thinks he can tell you what your dream means. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, he says, shut the front door. Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it meant? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, no enchanters, no magicians, no fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Daniel, here, notice, he refuses to take credit. He's not a member. He's eating salad. We talked about this last week. He is not taking credit for himself. He puts the attention where it belongs. He says this in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. He says, oh, King, nobody could know this stuff, but there's a God in heaven who knows everything, and that's my God. And Daniel proceeds to tell the king what his dream was. It was about this big statue. We're not going to go too much into the dream today, but 
It says the head of a statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. And he says, as you watched, a rock cut from a mountain, not by human hands, and it struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing into bits. This is the, the imagery that God had given him. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we'll tell you what it means. And Daniel tells the king how each part represented a kingdom. Each part of this statue represented a kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. There's the head of gold. This is the statue. It's just different parts. And after that, all these inferior kingdoms would follow. Silver, bronze, iron, mixture of clay. And they would all be crushed by a rock. The statue was made by a man, but the rock was not. The rock is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is greater than any other kingdom in the world. It doesn't matter how great you are. And you're a great king, Nebuchadnezzar. God says you're a head of gold. But you know what? It's things that are man-made just deteriorate. It's just what happens. They don't last. Verse 44 says this. During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. This is Daniel continuing to interpret It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness. It will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. And then Daniel just says, the dream is true and its meaning is certain. It's confidence. Daniel's throwing it down. He says, God is bigger than you, King Nebuchadnezzar. He not only knows what your dream is, but he's the one who gave it to you. God wants you to know who's really on the throne. And who's got all power in his hands? Verse 46, this is the final end of the story. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him and commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Not necessarily to Daniel. Verse 47 clarifies, Then the king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. See, Daniel had nailed it. That was the dream. It was a dream to a T, and it was exactly what it meant. What happens next? It's hard to believe. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. And at Daniel's request, God hooks up his buddies, right? The king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is their the Babylonian names for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So a Jewish captive is in charge of mighty Babylon and all its wise men. I mean, Daniel got promoted here big time. He went from just some Jew, you know, Judean captive to he's in charge of Babylon. I mean, this is mighty Babylon. So what? How does Daniel's story improve our odds of making right and wise decisions? I can tell you today the application is not that you need to figure out how to figure out dreams. Don't, don't, don't go into the dream interpreting business. That's not, what I'm, that's not the lesson we learned today. Daniel's great act of wisdom was not figuring out the dream. Do you know that Daniel didn't know the dream because he was wise? It wasn't because he was so smart that he figured out the dream. He couldn't have read enough books to know the dream. Like, listen, the astrologers and magicians had read them all. You can't be wise enough to know the impossible. We have issues in our life, decisions facing us, and guess what? You can't read enough books 
to know what you don't know. It's not just information. Daniel's wisdom here was getting on his knees. That was his wisdom. And praying like his life depended on it. That was the wisest thing that Daniel did. The wisest thing he did was get on his knees and pray. That's wisdom. James tells us that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When he couldn't possibly know what was right, he ran to the God who knew it all. I'm going to invite Nikki and the team to make their way on up here. I'm going to try and bring this ship down for a landing. Every day we're faced with decisions we have no idea how to make. Every day you are faced with decisions you have no idea how to make. Some are small. Some are really small things. You're just not sure what to do in the moment. But some are big, like really, really big. Maybe you're facing really big decisions today. And you could read every book. You could study under every master. You could ask advice from everybody you consider a success. You could search for wisdom for the rest of your life. And still there will be things that are impossible for you to know. There's no master, no book, no nothing that can tell you what tomorrow holds. You could read all the books in all the libraries in the world and not know what tomorrow holds. You can't know what difference your life is going to make. You can't know how your decision today will affect people tomorrow. You don't know the influence, the echoes, the ripple effect. You don't know those things, and you can't. There are some things we just can't know, and we think the solution for the things that we can't know is wisdom. That if we had wisdom, we would... And you know, it's, it's true. We need wisdom. Wisdom is the answer. It's just that wisdom isn't what we think it is. Wisdom isn't knowing things. Please don't miss this. Wisdom isn't knowing things. That's knowledge. That's knowledge. And we would all agree that simply knowing stuff isn't enough. I know a lot of really smart people. And so do you. You know a lot of really smart people who can't get out of their own way. They're too, they're smart. They know a lot of stuff. The accumulation of knowledge is not enough. The magicians, the astrologers, they knew a lot. Knowledge wasn't enough. Wisdom isn't knowing things. You don't need to know what the options could be. You need to know which one is the right one. Wisdom is knowing which decision is the right one right now. That's wisdom. Wisdom is time-oriented. It's what's right for today. What's right for right now. See, knowledge gets you to the gate. Wisdom lets you know when it opens. What did Daniel have that they didn't? They all read the same books, studied under the same culture. See, Daniel knew the one who knew it all. That's what set him apart. His wisdom wasn't his own intellect. His wisdom was being connected to the one who is wisdom. The God who knew it all revealed what Daniel needed to know when he needed to know it. Last week, we talked about the fact that you're in a battle. The series is called Battles in Babylon. Last week, we talked about you're going to continue to be in a battle for your identity. People want to tell you who you are and what you are. You determine who determines you. God says you, de- you, you decide who influences you. But today, you're in a different fight. I'm talk about another one. This is the fight for the impossible. Today, you're in a fight to know what you just can't know. There are decisions confronting you, and you want to make the right decision, and there's just things you can't know. 
in your own power, you can't know those things. What's the right way to raise my kids? What career decision should I make? Who should I trust? What am I supposed to do with my life? How should I do it? Who should I do it with? The wise men were right. No magician, no astrologer, no enchanter could know those things. Only God could know. There are decisions before you that only God knows. But the magicians were also wrong. Because the God who knows, guess what? He does live among his people. He said that God doesn't live on earth, and yes, he does. He lives in you and he lives in me. That's the wonder-inducing characteristic of a God that changes the game. The God who knows everything lives inside of you. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. James 1.5 Daniel was in a relationship with the all-knowing God and when impossible showed its face, Daniel had all the wisdom he needed. I'm fairly certain that there are some of you today that are here and you'd say you're in the shadow of impossible. Impossible is staring you down right now. There are things you, there are decisions you need to make. You just, you do not know what you need to know to make that decision. You, maybe you've read all the books. You've asked advice from more people than you should. Decisions you can't make heads or tail of. Life is filled with complexity and you just don't know what's right. I tell you, I'm so glad you are here today. The location of wisdom is not a mystery. God has shown us where it is. He said he has it. He has it. You don't need to go hunting for wisdom. What you need to do is what Daniel and his friends did. You need to get on your knees and pray like your life depends on it. Because it does. Your life depends on it. How bad do you want to know what the right thing to do is? you really want to know? I mean, I, the measure to which we pray reveals how much we really care. Do you really want to know what's right? Pray like your life depends on it. Go to the one who is wisdom. If you really want to dramatically improve your odds of making the right decision, Daniel prayed to the God of the impossible the most incredible thing happened and the same thing is going to happen for us. Wisdom walked through the door. Told him what he could never have ever known. The one who is wisdom delights in giving it to you. We just need to pray like our life depends on it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. You are good. We declare it. You are king. From the beginning of the service to the end recognize that you sit on the throne. Lord, all of this is from you and all of this is for you. Take it. Do the impossible with it, Lord. You can transform just a few, Lord, our, our, our common dollars and cents. And you make them life-changing tools. Lord, so I ask you to, to take this offering today and use it to let people know how much you love them this great message. I ask today for wisdom 
It's not wisdom to go find knowledge in books, which is good. Nothing wrong with books. But let our greatest wisdom be that we fall on our knees before you. And look to the God who knows all things. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.